0: Up on today's show, another wrinkle in the ongoing saga of Canada's senior leadership in the Canadian military. Conservative MP Tim Upple will join us. He expressed regret over the weekend. And what's going on in the Middle East? Dr. Ferry DeKerco, a former ambassador, will fill us in on all the details. One thing after another when it comes to Canada's military, uh, the latest development, the second in command of the Canadian forces, has resigned. Um following widespread condemnation over his decision to, believe it or not, go golfing with General Jonathan Vance. He's the guy who's under military police investigation for sexual misconduct. So it's just, um, it, it, it's hard to wrap your head around, to be honest with you, that this would be something that they would do. And he got it from all sides in the House of Commons. Christian Freeland, Aaron O'Toole, and Jugmeet Singh all weighing in on this.
1: It shows very poor judgment and sends entirely the wrong message to the whole country.
2: It was completely inappropriate. And it shows that there is a broken culture at the senior ranks in the Department of National Defense.
3: That I blame directly the Minister of Defense and Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister. They are not taking this seriously. So, that's the latest
0: development, um, and it seems like there's a new one every day. So, let's get an update on it now. Amanda Connolly is joining us now. Amanda, of course, a political reporter with Global News based in Ottawa. Amanda, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, yeah, let's just bring us up to speed, make sure everybody knows what's going on. General Jonathan Vance used to be in charge of the Canadian military, was removed following allegations of sexual misconduct, and then on the weekend went golfing with one of the people in charge of the investigation, correct? Correct.
1: So I'm just going to clarify that a little bit. Uh, General Jonathan Vance, as uh, you mentioned there, he is the former chief of the defense staff for the Canadian Armed Forces, so the top soldier, effectively. He actually um, retired in January, and very shortly after that, uh, Global News broke uh, allegations of inappropriate behavior against him. And ever since then, really, the last almost five months now, we've seen multiple allegations rolling out against uh, several senior leaders in the Canadian forces. And of course, um, Vance remains under military police investigation. So this, this really was a... Um one of those rare occasions on Parliament Hill where you see uh, kind of across the board criticism and, and agreement on the fact that uh, they were they, people were saying this this was very inappropriate. And really the focus here was not so much on Vance. It was on Lieutenant General Mike Rouleau, that's the yes. second in command of the military, who, of course, as part of that role also holds oversight authority for the military police. And that was really the connection here that brought all of these eyes onto the situation with people saying, how can we have confidence that that investigation will be able to be carried out fairly and impartially if this is what's happening behind the scenes?
0: So in uh, response to that, we've now had another resignation in the upper levels, right? Right.
1: Correct, yes. So we saw yesterday Rouleau announced that he is resigning from the Canadian forces. Uh, He will be exiting the military, uh, and and this really is, again, a... a one of several moves over the last couple of months as the military is really facing this this reckoning and, and an institutional crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard experts saying about its handling of sexual misconduct within its ranks, particularly the senior ranks and the allegations against senior leaders. This has been a huge problem for the military for years now. This is not necessarily new, but again, that focus on the senior ranks is really what um, what, what is pushing this forward and, and leading to a lot of renewed criticism and uh, soul surge about what needs to be done to make this better so that the men and women in the military can feel confident coming forward that they will get that fair and impartial process when they have complaints to make.
0: Yeah, and Amanda, as you said, it really calls into question because one of the allegations is that you know, this has been going on for so long and it seems like nobody really takes it very seriously or seems to care about it that much in the in the higher ranks of the military. And this really speaks to that. Like you said, how seriously are they taking this if if they're all golfing together, right?
1: Exactly, and and that really was the the kind of focus of the the outrage that we were seeing online, and also from the the experts in the defense field that uh, Global News has been speaking to over the past couple of days. Here, we, we've spoken to people who are saying, "Look, when you're ha- when you have a situation where the military's handling of sexual misconduct is already under so much criticism, there is already so much testimony from men and women saying we don't know if we can get a fair." a fair process when we come forward here to have this on top of that. One expert that I spoke to was saying it really casts doubt. And that doubt really is what is so crucial to uh, the severity of these, this, this issue right now is that all you need is that one drop of doubt, really, right. To kind of cast questions on the entire process. And right now that process is really fighting an uphill battle in a sense to deep, Uh, seen as credible and to prove that they are able to handle these kind of things. So, certainly it was not, um, it it was certainly a very serious um, incident over the past couple of days that we've been seeing here, and again, that that attention really focusing on um, what this means for senior leaders and their conduct.
0: Um, And Amanda, uh, we didn't plan to talk about this, but I'm just wondering if you have any information. Denny Fortin, who was, of course, in charge of the vaccine rollout, uh, is now suing after he was removed from the leadership of the vaccine rollout. What's the latest on that situation?
1: Yeah, so this this certainly is uh, is very interesting, and again, this this happened as you mentioned there uh, yesterday, or over the last couple of days here as well. Um, we we are watching for more information about this. What we have right now, again, is um, as you mentioned there, Major General Danny Fortin has filed um, has asked for a judicial review, essentially, uh, of, of the decision to remove him as the head of the vaccine. Roll out. And so he's alleging political interference in that decision by Prime Minister Dustin Trudeau and hmm. two of the cabinet ministers. And so part of this, again, is going to be watching for, um, again, none of this has been tested in court, so right. uh, we're really watching to see what happens as that move, moves forward. But again, watching to see what that kind of bar is for removal. Where, where is the... Um, I guess what again? How do you how do you make that decision when you, you've got someone who is facing an allegation in a senior public role? And what has to actually go into the decision to remove them? Um, that that this certainly is raising questions about that, and we're looking into this, of course, today and, and will be over the future as this plays yeah. out. But again, a lot of questions happening here about. Um, and again, this is this is part of what the government got criticism over with the original um, the, the Vance allegations as well, was that they had. An allegation, and were not seen to have acted as strongly as people felt that they could have or should have. So, really, part of this all this this very uh, significant and broad issue facing the military in the government right now, as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Deal with it ahead of time and avoid all this trouble down the road. Um, Amanda, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's Amanda Connolly, who is a political reporter for Global News, based in Ottawa, has been covering this military saga as it goes on. A Conservative MP from Alberta has issued a statement of regret for the role that he played or perhaps didn't play in Stephen Harper's government as the Conservatives of the day brought forward some very controversial and divisive policies that frankly targeted Canada's Muslim community. Tim Upple was the Minister for Multiculturalism at the time. He was actually the point man during the effort to ban the wearing of niqabs while people were taking the oath of citizenship. Uh, Mr. Apple joins us now to talk more about his statement that he released on the weekend. Mr. Apple, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, so for those who haven't seen the Facebook post, just uh, summarize the statement that you gave and um, what, what you had to, to say to Canadians over the weekend.
3: Um, for me, it really was that, you know, um, this past week, so many of us have been thinking about the family, the, the terrorist attack that happened in London. And um, and, and a part of those conversations I was having with a, a number of people from the Muslim community in um, reaching out to them and, and, you know, having conversations about how can we make all Canadians feel safe, all Canadians should feel f- that they belong, um, really made me think that, you know, um, I was a part, um, and I was Minister of State at the time, of a policy um, in back in 2015, of, of banning the uh, niqab from citizenship ceremonies, and um, and while at the time it was focused on the sort of the mechanics of, of the policy that the the you know the niqab would be removed for or, or everyone should show their face for about thirty right. seconds during the the ceremony. Um, it was after when, when my left was outside of politics, you know, in 2015, when we lost the election, I lost my seat. I was doing other things and talking to other Canadians. And there, I um, talked to so many people who, who agreed with the government on so many things, that talk, agreed with the direction we had on, on economic policies, on justice issues, international issues, and, and, but felt like, you know, they were being alienated by us. So mm-hmm. they could agree with us on our policies, but, but felt like, well, you don't like us right and 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 especially from you know the, uh, from muslim community uh, canadian muslims and so um and part of that was um that niqab policy and it wasn't necessarily the policy itself but was the rhetoric and the the national debate that it sparked afterwards and i and i and i really felt like for me to be honest with people that i'm reaching out to after such a a, a tragedy um that's happened that I I also need to be open and transparent about my role in that. Uh,
0: Do you think there's a straight line um, between, well, let's call it, I I don't know, uh, you know, policy that targets a specific community or something like that. And as you point out, the rhetoric was very heated around that. A lot of it coming from, um, you know, the government. So when you have state-sponsored policy and that kind of rhetoric, do you think there's a straight line that something starts there and eventually it can fester and continue to grow until we see the kind of, you know, increase in hate crimes and violent crimes that we've seen targeting Muslims? Do you think there's a correlation there?
3: What I think there is a correlation to is the fact that policies like that and, 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 you know, the aftermath of of, of the debate and, and the rhetoric does lead to um, misunderstanding. It does lead to casting a shadow over um, community. It, it leads to stereotyping, and 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 in this case, you know, would lead to Islamophobia. Um, and and I and I, you know, and and that's wrong. And and, and um, you know, I I feel that I should have uh, used my seat at the table at the time. Um, to push back against it. I've been somebody that has been very outspoken against anti-Semitism, um, racism of all kind, and so um, this is something that uh, I, I felt that I, um, you know, if, if not then, at least be open about it now. Uh,
0: I want to ask you a bit about your, your frame of mind going back to 2015, because it's interesting to me, Um, you know, the niqab ban and and the snitch line and all the other sorts of things that we talked about, a lot of people say that's, as you mentioned, that that's why the Conservatives may well have lost that election, because um just people were really turned off by that kind of behavior and rhetoric. Um, as a visible minority yourself, at that time in 2015, how did you not recognize that these positions were divisive, if not xenophobic and Islamophobic?
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess some of it has to do with sort of the, the political climate at the time. These are, um, so the Nagab ban separately, I think the the, 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 barbaric cultural cultural practices thing is something that we all actually, it didn't come through a cabinet process. It was announced during um, the election itself. Um, And and so I had less to do with that. But on the Naqabah, that's something that, you know, um, there was consultation done on it. At the the time, it felt like that, something needed to be done, I would look back now and say, okay, I don't know if we actually needed a policy on that. Um, you know, maybe we should look at the data of how many people were actually wearing the garb but going through such a ceremony. Was it needed? Um, and so, but when you're, you know, kind of in that bubble and you think that something needs to be done, it needs to be addressed, this is probably the most fair way to do it. Um, and, you know, you come forward with policy, and, and let's be honest, at the time, it was very popular. Um, and, and so the, um, you know, the support, it, it got a lot of support. And so, um, you feel like, okay, we're doing the right thing. And so, you know, and, and it takes, um, like I said, start, when you start mm-hmm. talking to more people who especially come forward and say, listen, we agree with so much what you're saying. You know, we, many people would say, if it wasn't for how we felt like you were treating us, um, or, you know, how you were alienating us, they'd be a card carrying conservative, Right. And so and so I felt like, OK, so we're, you know, uh, for me, being a conservative is not what you look like. It really is about your ideas and your thoughts and, and how you think that, you know, the country should be run. And so um and the policies that we bring forward. So that's why I want to say, OK, let's get back to that. That's what we. that's what we should be focused on. And Aaron O'Toole, the night that he won the leadership race, it's one of the very first things that he said that he wants the Conservative Party to reflect all of Canada that, and pe- more and more people should be able to look in the mirror and say, "Yes, I'm a conservative." And for us to be able to do that, I thought it was important that you know, because I was a spokesperson for this policy, that that I I'd be upfront about it. And, and the thing is, I've been having these conversations in private with many people um, all along. It's not like I just came up to this, you right. know, uh, came up with this now. I've been having these conversations and talking to people, but I felt like, you know, for me to be an elected official, I wanted to be transparent with uh, my supporters, you know, my my voters in my riding and and, and all Canadians, that uh, this is how I feel about it couple of other questions, just uh, based on the
0: reaction that we have seen following your Facebook post. And I, one of them is kind of interesting to me. A lot of people saying, well, did you not recognize at the time you were somewhat being used? Uh, you were a bit of a political pawn because, um, you know, just based on your appearance alone, the response from the Conservative Party is, well, how can we possibly be xenophobic? How can we possibly be racist? Look at the guy who's leading this file. Do you feel there's any credence to that? Do you think you were chosen to be the point man on this file because of the way that you look?
3: I think it's easy to look back at that and say, well, you know, he's got a turban, so of course that's why he was there. But I'm, I'm one that, um, you know, I was involved in the debate and the policy er- early on. Um, I was actually Minister of State for Multiculturalism mm-hmm. well before this came up. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think that. Um, I, I think, um, I, I should have I am saying you know myself that um, I should have looked at it more critically and 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 used my own personal experiences and said you know what i could that i I should have at the time have seen that the 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 trouble that this could have caused um I could not have predicted that this would become a national debate um and and um and frankly there was an announcement, and then nothing was discussed for months. Um, it didn 't even come up. it really was you know a one day news story, and then there was other events that came up that made this into a, a very large debate so um, I, I think it's, uh, it 's at the time it 's sometimes hard to predict the future, but looking back I think uh, um I, I, I could have spoken out more. So the, the promise that you made in your
0: post is this won't happen again, and you'll be a voice for unity and recognition of all cultures and, you know, races and religions and all the rest of those sorts of things. So what's the plan? Um, what, what do you commit to doing going forward should the Conservatives find themselves
3: in power again following the next election? Yeah, and so this isn't just me. I mean, I um, you know have had very good conversations with our leader Erin O'Toole and other members of our team, um, and and we feel that you know um, let's focus on what's important to Canadians and and focus on policies that unite us as mm-hmm. Canadians. So let's you know focus on um, getting through this pandemic, on the recovery, the economic the situation, um, you know, our issues within the justice system. So there's so many things that we that we should be focusing on. And side issues like that is just something that you know we don't need to address. Uh, I'm just going to put one last one to you because it's coming
0: in from a lot of listeners, and, uh, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, this is just political opportunism. We have an election coming up this fall, and there's some reputational repair that needs to be done, um, and that's what Mr. Upple's doing now. How would you respond to those allegations?
3: Well, I mean, for them, it, the fact is, in politics, any time you do something like this, um, you get the good and the bad. And, and like you said, you looked at my Facebook post, the, the comments afterwards. Um, <laughs> I knew that It comes with the it. territory, right? It comes with the territory, right? So people are, 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 you know, there's those that are saying, well, he has apologized. I'm never going to support him again. You should never back down and, and that kind of thing. And then there's, you know, some that appreciate it. And, and many others who say, hey, too little, too late. So I get it. I understand that, um, but for me, I felt that it was an important thing to do.
0: Mr. Uppel, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Shane. That is Tim Uppel, who is the MP for Edmonton Millwood. Benjamin Netanyahu held power as Prime Minister of Israel for a total of 15 years, but his long and turbulent time at the top is now over, as yesterday the Knesset Israeli parliament sworn a new prime minister, Naftali Bennett. Very, very thin vote, 60 to 59, razor thin, makes him the leader of a very diverse coalition. He is the new PM. So what does that mean? For outsiders, a change in Israeli leadership immediately leads to questions about Middle East peace and if the prospects are any better with a regime change. So to find out what this means for that part of the world, we're going to chat with Dr. Ferry de Kerkov, who is a former ambassador in CG. A.I. fellow and our go-to voice of expertise on the Middle East. Ferry, thank you for joining us again this morning. Appreciate your time. With pleasure. So, before we get to the new guy, let's talk about the outgoing PM here. Absolutely. Uh, Netanyahu, he didn't go quietly, didn't go graciously. Instead, (laughs) he's labeled this new coalition as evil and anti-democratic. He's not exiting the national stage, right? Uh, You know, I guess he could ultimately find himself in jail. That might change things. But until then, he'll continue to have a, a large degree of influence in Israel.
2: Yeah, Doesn't he remind you of somebody? somebody uh, I can't uh, put my finger on it, Ferry. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Somewhere <laughs> south, but I don't know exactly where, and there's a beautiful property on the beach or something like that. Let's leave that aside for a moment. Listen, BB is the king of hubris. And let's go a bit into some of his achievements in order to justify a bit his desire to stay in power. Okay. You know, he is the first guy to have applied Reaganomics uh, to Israel. And although it enhanced inequality, and, and, and it's sad for a country as developed as Israel, he's also managed to prop the economy. He developed the high tech to a point where very often they export to the U.S. and other countries. Uh, In the beginning, he was not particularly great on COVID, Then all of a sudden it worked because he made that extraordinary deal by by actually allowing the company providing the vaccine to have access to all the data, which no other country has done, and that's why they got all the, the vaccine in time. So very brilliant. Now, you have to recognize that Israel, living in a rather, rather very cool, calm place, has developed an extraordinary capability in intelligence and it's an offensive capability as the Iranian had found out several times. Uh, the military is in peril. You know that there is an agreement uh, that will go back in time now that at any given time the U.S. will guarantee that Israel can defeat all the Arab countries even if they were all allied together against mm-hmm. it. So that's quite an important element. On, in terms of foreign relation, uh, think about uh, we could nearly be jealous, looked at for that small little country, but because of its capability, has relationship not on par but close to with countries like India, like China, like Russia. You know politics doesn 't matter it 's a big buck that matters it hasn 't great influence in some countries in Africa, even in Latin America, and now, because of the Abraham Accords for your listener, the Abraham Accords are those opening up of relationship, formal relationship between Arab countries and Israel, such as the United Arab Emirates, such as uh, Bahrain, and, there, and, and there's even recognition going all the place to Sudan, where so few people listening know exactly where Sudan is. But those are very important developments. The problem, the, the downsides of this is the arrogance, the narcissism. And also the paranoia, which also remind you of somebody down south uh, he 's trumpian with maybe with steroids or i i 'm not, not sure but today today uh, he 's got a, you know he 's out and we 'll have to talk about the legacy in terms of the relationship with the u s which is so critical for israel yes but but of course, on the Palestinian side, and we can go more into depth about that. He, he has ensured that the legacy Ariel Sharon would be maintained to the hilt. And what does that mean? It basically means settlers, colonialism galore. What it means is that basically the, the fundamental intent of Israel politics across the political arena is basically Israel, in one way or another, reconquering the whole of Palestine, what is called the Mandate Palestine, that is the one that the Brits were responsible for between the two world wars. So that's and, not and just so,
0: Jerusalem, that's Gaza, that's West oh, Bank? No,
2: we're talking about the, the long-term objective is Judea-Samaria, which is really reconquering at the maximum extent what the whole Palestine was be, uh, at the time when it was split from Transjordan. I, I don't want to go into the details of geography, but it, yeah, is, it yeah. is absolutely fundamental. Now, one of the, the, the negative side of our friend Netanyahu is that his populistic, uh, pers- you know, very populistic uh, personality is also, of course, extremely divisive at a time where the whole Israeli politics moved to the far right. You don't have any real left-left in, uh, in, in, in Israel. Even Lapid, for instance, is, is much more center-right than he is full left. So, in a way, Bibi Netanyahu has legitimized extremism, but at the same time, in order to try and maintain power, he tried to have an agreement with the RAM, the, the, the RAM party, which is the small uh, Palestinian group of four uh, um, Knesset members. And, and and so he was prepared to ally himself with, with Islamists so it's a, it's it's a very complex uh, complex situation so the problem is that the relation with the US is also tampered by the fact that basically Netanyahu decided he was going to play ball only with the Republican which put in question the traditional perfect equilibrium support for Israel stemming from both Democrats and Republicans because he saw the evangelist and the republican and were more attuned to his own vision of politics. So that division, of course, got... Uh, extrapolated, if I can use that term, by the famous discussion on the GCPOA, the Joint Common Program of Action, i.e., the nuclear deal with Iran. Iran yeah. And if, I don't know if you remember that brother Netanyahu came and, you know, was welcomed by Congress without even paying homage to Obama when he was president, and that, that didn't do good for the relations with the two. But, but basically Netanyahu decided to, uh, Find out the best support possible and of course once brother Trump came in that became uh, heaven for for for, for Israel sure, yeah. to the extent that uh, Jerusalem became the national capital uh, which and then the Golan Heights by a kind of fiat of trump became part of perennial uh, part of Israel even though in international law it doesn't hold uh, so in a way uh, brother brother Netanyahu of late got in, in, into the bad side of the Democrat who really thought that was too much and the latest crisis that we all witnessed and the bombing of Hamas was not particularly well looked at by, by, the, by, by the Democrats although of course Mr. Biden continued to express his full support sure, yeah. for Netanyahu. So I, I'm sorry I'm going through. I could go on and no, on and yeah, on yeah. but I'm, I'm, maybe uh, you want to stop me otherwise I can talk to you about uh, you know why why has Netanyahu become like that?
0: Well, why, yeah, I mean, when we talk about Netanyahu, and, and we, we're, we're, just for the interest of time, um, let's switch gears and, and touch on um, Naftali Bennett. Yeah. Uh, what, what do we know about this guy? Because like you say, the entire political landscape in Israel has shifted pretty far to the right. This guy is certainly not a dove. Uh, when it comes certainly to no, the
2: no, former chief of staff for Netanyahu. He shares all the, all the views of Netanyahu. The whole idea uh, in, in Israel was to get rid of Netanyahu, but certainly not change the landscape. Right. The only problem is that to achieve that result, he had to ally himself with every, everybody else that is not part of the Likud that is the party of Netanyahu. And so that's, that was the agreement with Lapid, uh, and that was also... The agreement, even with the, uh, the the Palestinian from Ram, so so we're talking about a totally unmanageable proposition. This being said, there's some uh, there, there's some good stuff about it because, in a way. this group right now, which is totally eclectic, is going to be reinforced in its determination to stay together precisely because of the lambasting by Netanyahu. I think Bibi is, is, is wrong in attacking that group because it's strengthening their coalition. You've noticed that they will work on issues that are palatable to the general population and to the membership of that government. They will look looking from a very cool situation. They will focus on economic recovery. They will try to fight against poverty because, surprisingly enough, one in five uh, Israeli—and I'm talking Israeli, not the Arab Israeli—one in five lives in poverty, which is amazing. They will yeah. try, I think, to enhance a contribution to the uh, Arab sector, uh, because that, that will be the price to be paid for being supported by RAM. Uh, and, and in a way, of course, it's fragile, because the big issue will be the Palestinian issue. And you've noticed they're not talking about it. I have to tell you that Bennett from Yamina is absolutely on the same page, if not worse, than Netanyahu in terms of expanding settlement, not seeing the light of a Palestinian state. So some of these fundamentals are exactly the same as when Netanyahu was in power. So I don't see any hope for the Palestinian at all at this stage.
0: Very just in terms of the political situation, I mean... This guy only has six seats in the Knesset himself. He only has a term of two years, and then somebody else rotates into the position. We know Israel. I think they've had five elections in the last two years or something ridiculous like that. Can we look for a little bit of stability in the political landscape of Israel, just as you said, this coalition desperate to hold together and keep Netanyahu on the outside?
2: Uh, I think so, but I want to triple my pay to tell really what my crystal ball is saying, <laughs> because, listen, it's you know, Netanyahu is a wild beast, a wild animal, and a fantastic politician, and he's already working on a lot of people. It doesn't take one more than one right. to, to, for the government to collapse, but the, pro, the thing, as I said earlier, the hatred that has been built over time against Netanyahu is the cement that will hold that will be the glue of that of that government but as i said uh, on many other issues, there'll be a pass. There'll be an agreement not to raise consensitive issues. That's why there'll be very little on the Palestinian case, despite, uh, you know, I don't know if you've read The Economist and the discrimination against Palestinians, the inequality between Israeli and Palestinian, and all of that. Nothing will be done on that score, particularly because Bennett has no interest at all. And on the, the Joint Common Program of Action, the nuclear deal, I think Bennett will be much smarter. and he will will be he will he is against it even more so than netanyahu but he will not harangue the, the, the you know on the pulpit i think he will be talking quietly with uh, biden you've noticed that biden who waited more than a month to Called Netanyahu, called Bennett, uh, literally a few (laughs) hours after he was elected. So for for Bennett, this is good news, and he will have the support of the U.S. in in a more balanced, more normal, more natural way. So I I think that will hold. But I I, I'm saying, will it hold a year? Will it hold two years? And then there will be the the typical Israeli politics where when Lapid will be invited to come in, Bennett will pull the plug, like like uh, Netanyahu pulled the plaque on Benny Gantz, when he was also supposed to shift uh, and and trade places. The key question that I'm looking forward to is when, as you said right from the beginning, when is Netanyahu going to be in prison? Well, that's the Before thing, right? Or or mean, after Trump?
0: I, I, either he ends up in um, back in the Knesset as PM again, or he ends up in jail. What What is the exactly. status of his corruption trial?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So the status right now is uncertain, uh, but I think now that he's no longer PM, he's got very, it's much, he's in a much weaker position, but he's going to fight to the end. And, and, you know, those legal cases can last and last and last uh, beyond our our own lives.
0: (laughs) Um, Final question, we know that there's a there was elections that were delayed in terms of Palestine. What's the status of that, and what kind of an impact would this change in uh, leadership in Israel have on that, if any?
2: Well, you know, as I said, uh, our friend Bennett is not at all interested in creating a Palestinian state. I think there's a very strong desire for uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of Palestinian Authority, to leave. The problem is that the, the one that they want as his successor, Barghouti, is in jail, and <laughs> in jail for, for decades uh, at the behest of the Israeli uh, justice system. So there is very little inclination. And you've, no, you've noticed that the Americans are very coy about that. They, they barely reiterate the mantra of the two states. Uh, Actually, has, they haven't even mentioned that in the latest discussion. So I, 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 don't, uh, I don't expect any change. I, the, the, some of the key discussion will come just right, right, you know, in the very next weeks, you will have the uh, Ayatar illegal settlement that will come to the fore, and Bennett, whether he say yes or no, will make enemies on one side or the other. And Hamas. Oh, don't put past Hamas' ability to create a mess, even though they've been whacked pretty yeah. nastily recently.
0: No, we know that. Uh, constant presence. Yeah. Uh, Ferry, great insight, as always. Can't thank you enough for your time. With pleasure. Appreciate it. That All is the best. That is Ferry de Kerkov, who uh, served for a long time as uh, Canada's ambassador in that part of the world. Uh, he's also a fellow with CGAI. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favourite podcasts, And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.